Danny Boy, the pipes, the pipes, you're smoking. Welcome back to the Conspiracy Podcast. This is Emil. Um, glad you're here with me. Going to be talking about good old Danny Quayle during this session here. Which we're calling Blowing Smoke. Because uh, when a convicted drug dealer uh, by the name of Brett Kimberlin claimed to be Dan Quayle's college marijuana connection, the feds tossed him right into the solitary. If it was just a pipe dream, then why did they need to shut this man up? So, a little background, a little history here. 1988, um, the election was a month away. The Republicans should have been pretty happy. The presidential candidate, George Bush, not that George Bush, Daddy Bush, held a pretty comfortable lead, but the GOP, the grand old party, had a problem. Bush's running mate, guy named Senator Jay Danforth Quayle. Quayle. <laughs> what a name. Staunch conservative, still is. Mal, he basically said, you know, uh, he, he was the mouthpiece for the usual, um, uh, uh, I don't know, what's a good way to say it? He, you know, he was pretty much a hawk, and he was the representative of the of the hawkish rhetoric about fighting communism. But when the press reported that his father had pulled strings to get him into the National Guard and uh, therefore keep him out of Vietnam, all the tough talk sounded pretty hypocritical. So, you know, his hard line on defense turned out to be a joke. As a matter of fact, the joke was, what do you get when you cross a hawk and a chicken? A quail. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, he also had the reputation of being a lightweight who was more interested in his golf than his legislative duties. Uh, many polls showed that public uneasiness about Dan Quayle was um, pretty much eroding Dan, uh, uh, George Bush's lead. So one more embarrassing disclosure about the candidate's nominee could, uh, um, you know, the candidate's vice presidential nominee, I should say, pretty much could have endangered the whole ticket. So what happened? Well, it's mid-October 1988, a federal prisoner named Brett Kimberlin, uh, who was serving time at a place called the El Reno Correctional Institute in Oklahoma, he told reporters that he basically sold pot to Dan Quayle 15 to 20 times between 1971 and 1973 when Quayle was uh, a law student in Indianapolis. Um, Kimberlin offered to uh, even take a polygraph test, and he, he promised to detail his allegations in a press conference later that month, towards the end of October. Uh, and since the Republicans had made fighting drugs a centerpiece of their uh, political agenda, the charges could have had devastating effects. But the press conference never happened. Four days before the election, the Bureau of Prisons Director uh, Michael Quinlan was a political appointee in Washington, D.C., by the way, contacted the warden, and he told him to cancel Kimberlin's conference. So, Brett Kimberlin, serving a 51-year sentence for drug smuggling and bombing offenses, uh, was pretty much just thrown into solitary confinement less than an hour before he was supposed to tell his story about selling pot to quail. Uh, I'm getting most of this out of a magazine called American Lawyer. And uh, there's a quote in here. They say that he remained in solitary until eight days after the election. Of course, the story then died. Quayle's accuser was generally ignored, um, or at least dismissed, by the media. Meanwhile, Brett Kimberlin stuck to his story. Um, he, he actually even brought up a whole lawsuit. Um, he claimed that Quinlan was pressured into silencing him. 
by politically connected higher ups. Um, and this was cited in the San Francisco Examiner. So, um, what was the official story? The official story, uh, told by, um, well, basically David Beckwith, well, Gary Trudeau, the guy who does Doonesbury, um, he, he, he basically ran a series of comic strips um, about this case a few years later, and the vice president spokesperson, David Beckwith, pretty much said, well, that's right, this belongs in the comics pages, the allegations are going to run exactly where they belong. Um, and this was in the New York Times. But Mr. Beckwith failed to recognize some suspicious facts. For example, the vice president denied that he ever smoked or bought pot. Still, if Danny Quayle was like most college students in the 60s, he was probably exposed to it. In fact, uh, his fraternity uh, at his college, uh, Delta Kappa Epsilon, had a, a reputation as a great place for parties. And, and one memorable party was called The Trip. <laughs> it was 1968, um, and in, the, in his yearbook, the, the party is described as, and I quote, a colorful psychedelic journey into the wild sights and sounds produced by LSD. And get this, the description appears in the caption, right over Quayle's yearbook photograph. Um, and, you know, Britt Kimberlin wasn't the first to accuse Quayle of taking drugs. Uh, the DEA, actually, in 1982, investigated charges that the young senator had used cocaine and quaaludes. There was no credible reason given for placing Kimberlin in solitary confinement. As a matter of fact, the warden of his prison had already approved the press conference. Um, what the New York Times said is, quote, It appears to be unprecedented for a solitary confinement order to come from the Bureau of Prisons director in Washington. Some people accused uh, Kimberlin of, of trying to reduce his sentence uh, with wild charges. Um, and, and Kimberlin's reply was that he expected nothing but grief from prison authorities for going public, and he sure got it. Um, the San Francisco Examiner said that, uh, this is again uh, 1988, said the last year the presidentially appointed U.S. Parole Commission decided to keep him in prison until February 1994, despite an exemplary prison record. The 180 months of incarceration would be twice the maximum time recommended in federal guidelines. And, and then the federal guidelines were anywhere between 64 and 92 months uh, for a prisoner in that category. So the question, of course, pops up. Was it a conspiracy? The White House, the presidential campaign team, and of course, they pretty much denied there was any attempt to sign as Kimberlin. Uh, New York Times quoted Justice Department aide uh, as saying that he knew of no evidence to suggest that Mr. Kimberlin was confined to avoid any damage his statements might cause the Bush Quail campaign. But the facts obviously suggest otherwise. So what was going on behind the scenes? The Legal Times, a Washington-based weekly, found intense interest in Kimberlin's activities among top GOP campaign aides. For example, Mark Gooden, who was the deputy press secretary to the campaign, said that he briefed campaign chairman uh, Jim Baker on Kimberlin's status five times during the final days of the campaign. Gooden, who says he was in regular contact with the Justice Department about Kimberlin, also said that he briefed Lee Atwater, who was Bush's campaign manager, and Stuart Spencer, who was Quayle's campaign manager. Director Quinlan's order that Kimberlin be isolated was uh, very um, unusual. Uh, disciplining prisoners um, 
from what I understand, is routinely handled by local wardens. The Legal Times, they note that, quote, several factors in addition to Quinlan's personal involvement led to the conclusion that the decisions to silence Kimberlin were not simply the product of routine prison administration, unquote. Let me also tell you about a guy named Loy Miller. He was the Justice Department's Director of Public Affairs. He seems to have been a key player in all of this. Um, Loy Miller. He first denied discussing Kimberlin's case with his superiors at the Justice Department. But according to Martin Lee and Norman Solomon, who were the authors of a book called Unreliable Sources, while increasingly drawn into uh, fielding pre-election media calls on the matter, this guy, Loy Miller, apparently served as a savvy switchboard between Bush quail strategies um, and the ostensibly non-political Bureau of Prisons operating under the wing of the Justice Department. In the end, Loy Miller all but admitted to the conspiracy to silence Kimberlin. And I'm quoting, he said, the Bureau of Prisons caught on that Kimberlin was going to hold another press conference. He said, so they put him back in. That's right in the legal times. Oh, Danny. I mean, just come out and say it, man. If you're a pothead, you're a pothead. Hey, tune in next time, folks. Uh, the next podcast is pretty much going to be about uh, the topic of this book that I'm writing about a guy named uh, William Sullivan and the American intelligence, com intelligence community and how it keeps secrets to protect its own until, of course, their own break the codes of silence. Hey, uh, click on to uh, the blog, conspiracy.podbean.com. And check out some of the videos I've got on there. I think you might appreciate it. This is Emil. Give me an email if you can. Johnjasmine at gmail.com.